thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Brajesh Patel. I'm currently the Associate Athletic Director of Athletic Development at Quinnipiac University, just a fancy way of saying the head strength conditioning coach. I've been here for um, over 14 years now. I've been in the field for um, well over 20 years now, um, primarily been around the Northeast, was stopped at UConn, uh, College of the Holy Cross, worked with Mike Boyle, um, Jeff Oliver, just to, if, if anybody, if if anybody recognizes those names at all. Um, but uh, passion for um, athletic development and really personal development. And I think that's um, that's a, where a lot of my passion lies. And, and I'm just fortunate to be able to work with the population that I'm able to work with. Um, I love being part of a team. Um, I love seeing um, student athletes and human beings get better. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that can go and not just physically, but really mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, individually, collectively within a team, like um, that's kind of my motto. It's 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 let's strive to get better at everything we do, and for that to happen, I need to be able to hold myself to that same standard as well. When uh, when did your you know whole process of that self improvement and that like you know holistic approach? Um, how long ago did that start? Because like you said, you have such experience in it that you could be considered you know one of the old heads, but to have that approach that you have now, like. When was that aha moment? Um, I think it was um, a lot of it really probably started with my parents and just growing up and I was an only child and um, being of Indian descent, like we, they instilled a lot of really um, core values that I that I instill within the people that I'm able to, to work with. Um, and a lot of that just discipline, hard work, keeping a positive attitude. Um, and I've realized that those are things that um, transcend sport itself. Like they're, they're, they're lessons and values that any person should be able to have if they aspire to be, to get better, they aspire to be great. Um, and then when, um, I got to university of Connecticut and I was a, and I realized I want to be a strength conditioning coach when I was in high school. Um, I started there, uh, coach Jerry Martin, rest in peace. Um, his background was psychology, psychology and sociology. And, um, I learned a lot about physical training, but also um, really mental training too, and how to be able to apply um, the mental side of things to the physical side of things. Um, and then through my through my journey, like I, I work with Mike Boyle and I work with Jeff Oliver, and they took approaches that were very much more training the body. And um, when I got to the Holy Cross, um, I, and I and I and I valued that, and I really valued that approach. Um, and I started to realize that it's not just about training the body. We also have to be able to look at training the mind as well and almost kind of marrying those two things together if we want to try to improve um, the person as a whole. And I think a lot of it comes down to how do you look at things? A lot of people think a lot of people and coaches will always start to look at the, the physical side of things if that's their aim. Um, they'll always look at things from a training, the physical side of things. But in reality, what I've learned, it's it's 90% of it's mental. Like if you don't have the right attitude, you don't have intent, um, you don't show up on time, you don't have the intangibles, you're not a good teammate, uh, you complain, you're negative. Like the, you could write the best training program in the world, but if that's the attitude that the athletes are going to have, it's not going to work. So it's not going to get better. So a lot of it really comes down to understanding um, what you're really trying to go after and who you're working with and you're working with a human being. And when you're working with a human being, your the style of communication is going to matter. How you motivate is going to matter. How you inspire is going to matter. Um, and, and all of those things, I think maybe matter more than the, what you put on a, on a training program. How do you, 
instill that mindset in all the other people that you work with. So, you know, again, if you're incorporating all those methodologies, you're only one man, you're not going to be able to be in charge of all of them. How do you instill that with the different members of your high performance team or the different staff members that you have there at Quinnipiac? Yeah, that, that's a great question. It's in, I started, I'll probably tell you where I started. Like I was the first full-time strength conditioning coach here. So I wasn't following anybody. Um, it, the school had only been division one for 10 years. Um, they used to contract out to strength conditioning coaches or personal trainers to work in with teams. So I was the first full-time person here, which was a huge blessing because I was able to instill my philosophy in kind of my approach to athletic development from, from the start. There's a lot of coaches that had been here and they've never worked with a full-time strength conditioning coach. So I was able to impart, um, you know, the way I wanted to kind of do things. So we didn't have a sports psychologist on staff. We didn't have a sports nutritionist on staff. We didn't, we had athletic trainers, um, but they were, they kind of worked with sports medicine and kind of stayed in their own realm. Um, but when it came to my approach with training and so much of it was uh, involved the mental side of things, um, it was really well received to the standpoint where um, it, it, there wasn't any kind of pushback in terms of a high performance model, like the strength, condition, the weight room was a high performance model. Everything we did was the high performance model, which is what used to happen in, in the old days. And now, well, now we have specialists. Now we have specialists within sports psychology and mental coaches and, and sports nutritionists. And um, as we've evolved as an athletic department, we've recently hired a sports psychologist. When she started to meet with a lot of the athletes and the coaches, especially the teams I work with, they would share with her what, what we would do in the weight room and they we would shoot she would share like the messages that she was trying to trying to teach them and they're like oh yeah coach b talks to us about that coach c coach b talks to us about being positive with our attitude and the in and the words that we use and our self-talk and stuff like that and so when we met she was just like she's like the fact that you are already instilling that is make makes my job that much easier so it's very much complementary now to the point where we have more uh, resources on staff to be able to help our student athletes to the best of their ability. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the approach that we've kind of taken. And I think that's happened because I haven't, I didn't need to follow anybody. I was able to kind of lay the groundwork myself and those opportunities don't arise uh, very often in these days. What would you say to somebody that is in one of those positions? Because now you're right. There's not always somebody that you're not following when you're at maybe a predominant school, but because the field is growing, there might be more opportunities at, um, division two or division three schools where they might be somebody that's brand new. One of my former assistants, uh, Joe Alexander, you know, he was the first ever strength and conditioning coach at Lycoming college. What would be a piece of advice you would give any of those, you know, coaches that are in today's field and they're brand new to it. But like you said, you know, there's the old days versus the now, what would you say to somebody um, having that experience taking over something uh, from the ground up? Um, probably the best advice I could say is know yourself, uh, really know yourself to the best of your ability. Like when I say that, like, I, I don't know if every coach truly understands himself. I don't know if every coach truly understands why they do things. Um, and I think if you can figure out what your why is, it's cliche to say, right. Like everybody's like, what's your why? Like you, you gotta be able to figure out what's your why. Um, like what's your, what's your purpose behind coaching? What's your purpose behind training what's your purpose behind uh the words that you decide to use when you coach and when you speak 
because I think that's probably the most important things. And the why matters so much more than the what's in the house. The what's in the house, you can piece together, put in exercises together, sequencing, sets, reps, all those types of things. Uh, what kind of periodization model are you going to use? Like none of that stuff matters if you don't know what your why is. Because if you don't know what your why is, then how can you clearly communicate that effectively to somebody else when you want them to do what you're asking them to do? You know, so that's probably the most important thing. So know yourself um, and then keep things as simple as possible and then layer things. Um, one thing that just came into mind when, uh, when, I, when I mentioned like knowing yourself, um, know what your big rocks are. Mike Boyle used to always talk about that. Like know what your big rocks are, not just from a training standpoint, but from a morals and values standpoint, because as strength conditioning coaches, it's, we, I think we have a unique opportunity. If we see it that way is... Um, we have an opportunity to be able to impact student athletes outside of their sport um, because we don't control playing time. We don't control playing time and we have nothing to do with the depth chart. Every student athlete that comes into the weight room is the same in my eyes. Like it doesn't matter if you're a starter, you're an all American or you're the last guy, or you're a walk on, you're uh, you get no playing time at all. The weight room is an opportunity where you can learn how to develop um, leadership, leadership skills, um, mental skills, um, communication. There's so many things that are going to be able to serve them well through life that you can learn and develop within the weight room. Um, so know what your big rocks are, <clears throat> have a plan and make sure that you can understand how to execute that plan. Like when it comes to big rocks, like for me, like it comes down to like our non-negotiables, which is accountability, respect, and work ethic. Um, like number one, we're going to teach you how to be accountable. Like you got to be responsible for your actions. You're going to work hard and you're going to learn how to respect the environment that you're in and respect the people around you. Um, because those, again, like I said before, those are going to transcend sport. Like you need to learn, learn how to be able to do those things for the rest of your life, because you're probably always going to be able to work. You have to work with somebody, whether it be a spouse or your job, you're, you're going to have to learn how to work in some sort of team. So you've got to have some responsibility. You got to learn how to work hard. And you got to make sure that you respect people around you. What's up, strength coaches? Taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the Cheeky Midweeky, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members-only forum. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out. Amen. And of, of that like Mount Rushmore of people that you kind of worked with and learned from, where what would be some of the best advice you learned from like each of those kind of, you know, big milestone coaches or, or places that you were at that did help shape that uh, learning mindset for you? Um, I think it's a blend of everything. Like, I, you know, as coaches, I think we take bits and pieces from every single situation that we're in. Um, we take bits and pieces from the coaches that we're exposed to um, and we try to blend it and meld it to our own personality. And you got to be able to know who you are. Like I, <clears throat> I'm not a big guy, right? I, I don't instantly have a physical presence. You know what I mean? So my presence comes from my ability to earn trust um, within the student athletes and with the people that I work with. And how do I earn trust? I earn trust because I'm confident, I'm prepared, I'm organized, I'm efficient, I'm structured, I'm very detail oriented. And I think when those things get presented 
within a training program or within how I communicate, um, it earns their level of trust. I earn people's trust and then I can, in turn, I can earn their respect so I can effectively learn how to, you know, how to develop them and how to lead them. Um, but it, it's, I think it's a blend of everything. I, I can't say if it's from any one person, like, um, like coach Sherry Martin, if you've ever, if anybody's ever met him, like he's a, he played football at Syracuse, like big, phys, big physical presence. Um, and then I didn't try to emulate. I worked with Jeff Oliver. He played for the, he played at BC and he played in the NFL for just a little bit of time. And he's a big physical, big man. Like I, I don't have those qualities. And I've worked with people like Andrea Hootie and Tina Murray and, and Mo Butler and, and Walter Norton and Mike Boyle and all these names and everybody's different and unique in their own sense. Um, but I was able to learn how, how important passion is, how important it is to be able to be organized, how important it is to have a plan, how important it is to be structured um, kind of like the things I just mentioned, um, but I don't think it was anything from any one person, um, but really it's, it's the attitude that I have. You can learn from every single situation. You can learn how to do things. You can learn how not to do things. And I was, a f I think I had that mindset because my parents instilled that in me to always have an open mind, always be willing to learn. Um, and I was able to take those things from, from every single coach I was able to work with. Did you have any hard oh, time? Can I jump in on, on that one? Yes, yeah. go ahead. I was um, going to build was, off that anyways, too, though. Yeah, yeah, I was going to build on that one as well. I know I think there's this huge value in whatever you're saying. I know it sometimes might be depending on the environment and how much time do you have with the athletes in, in the week or, or in the year in their career. But, you know, people get tempted to easily go to that first impact unsustainable or maybe sustainable, but like, I have to impress them in this way and such way because of the size of how much I'm screaming and whatnot. But athletes in the end, you know, well, not in the end, they're cool, they're the people. So when they see the caring, they see, hey, maybe this guy's not going to beat me to an arm wrestling. And I'm saying that because I'm tiny as well, you know, like five, <laughs> seven, 150 pounds. I've always coached people that are bigger than me. But at the end of the day, you know, when the um, sort of, I'm going to go and curse for the first time in the podcast, but once, once the um, dick measuring contest is out of the way, they'll be like, I want a guy that's going to take care of my health, not, you know, being trying to beat me all the time or impress me or, or macho, whatever. And it's the sort of bricks that build a long-term sustainable relationship. Even after you've stopped coaching them, you know, um, I stopped coaching my team for a year now. And with most of them, I have relationships that I don't think we talk about sport. Like, they talk about life decisions, going playing somewhere else. Oh, hey, I still remember when you told us to do this, this, and, and this. And, and I guess it comes down to, like you said in the beginning, the type of coach I want to be. I'm not saying it's better or worse than someone else, but when you choose that um, sort of path, the one with the values and the, and the big rocks and the relationship and the, and the strength of the bonds is something you keep forever. And, you know... Uh, it's cliche as well, but the titles, the wins and losses in the end, no one's going to remember that. I talk about them guys, you know, wanting to get married or, or moving overseas. And I don't even remember, you know, how many games we won or lost, you know? Agreed. Yeah. And again, another cliche is they don't know how much, they, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. It, yeah, it comes exactly. down to relationships. And, and I think I mentioned it before, but you're working with another human being. Like we're in a service industry, but you're working with another human being and every human being is different. Every human being's nervous system is different. Um, and to be able to reach them and to get them to do what you want them to do 
is all based on your level of communication. Like I have I'm an assistant opening right now currently. And I told my staff, like, listen, I put a premium on personality. I could care less about all the X's and O's yes. that they know. Yes. Like, like yeah. I've met, I've interviewed like really smart people, read really smart people, but they can't talk and they can't communicate to an individual, let alone a group of people. Like, what's the use? Like, it, it, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do us any, any, any good. You're not doing yourself any good. Um, so I, I, I put a high premium on personality and that was one of the things I think, you know, that stood out from, from Mike Boyle, honestly, like Mike, like he would have some of his athletes that, um, that went through his program would be coaches for him. And I was an intern and like, um, Mary Kay fight. She's at Springfield college right now as, as a professor, she was a athlete and she was probably 17 years old. I think I was 21. I was an intern and she's telling us how to run the program. She's telling us what to do. She has no idea about physiology and anatomy at that time. Like she just knows how Mike wants to do things, but Mike trusted her because of the personality that they had, right? The personality that they had that they could be able to effectively coach and teach the other athletes that are coming through his gym. Yeah. You know, I think if we can trace parallels and sort of like break the code, the matrix style, it, it comes down to type of people. Like right now, the three of us have the SNC hat on, but you can see the same profile person in educators, in firemen, in, in, in doctors. And, and you can see the different ones as well. The ones that will impose themselves with presence or, or screaming. It just comes down to the type of personality and, and what you want from your profession. Uh, profession. I mean, we're passionate and we want to make a difference in people's lives, whether it's, you know, uh, translatable to the field, hopefully, but in the long run, just make your presence in someone's life, something valuable and better in the long run. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like my core is, is like, I really truly believe that every single person has an opportunity to get better. Right. And we can be, we're working constantly to become the best version of ourselves and, that should be the attitude. That should be the mindset that we should all have. And it's not, it's not normal, right? It's not normal. Um, and it's not, it's very atypical, but if you want to be successful and if you want to be great at things and you want to be able to accomplish things and maximize your opportunities in life, like you got to be a little different and you got to think a little bit different. And that's why I look at things from coaching standpoint is I have an opportunity to try to impact every person I work with and try to help them become better versions of themselves. And they may not realize it in day one. They may not realize it in five months. They might not realize it in their first year. Maybe it takes three years. Maybe it takes four years. I sh shit, I've seen it like happen afterwards. And they'll, I have athletes text me or call me or write me a letter and um, start to realize, hey, the stuff that you said now makes sense to me. Like I get it. Um, so uh, that's just the way I look at things. And it comes down to uh, like I said before, like really knowing yourself and being honest with yourself and having integrity uh, within yourself. Yeah. And it's funny because people might think that we're referring to, you know, these let, let's let's call them success cases in which you help them do, you know, go through their sports career. But all, all I'm thinking is about the ones that maybe shouldn't be playing sport for that long. And I mean, you're not going to go and tell them, hey, you know, wink, wink. It, it's the other way around but you sort of give them the tools so they can make their, you know, their own decisions and, and be happy in the long run, you know, just saying that you put so much into this and, and it's clearly not working out for you and you keep like doubling and tripling your efforts and, and your returns are even smaller, you know, maybe just put the same determination, same energy somewhere else. And then, you know, sort of lead them to make their own decisions and they, they're happy doing something else. Like 
finding what they want to do or who they are and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. What did you have to say, Justin? No, what I was going to say during that process, like I know Mike's had the analogy of the cook versus the chef. Did you ever feel like you were trying to be the cook and follow the recipe of, you know, one of those coaches? Because again, you can't just blend them all right away. Right. Like, cause then it's just taking one recipe and you're, you know, kind of hodgepodge in it, but how were you able to be, eventually become that chef that understood how to cook rather than just follow that recipe, whether it be for training or for the, the leadership and, you know, the, the personality stuff. So I, when I, when I was at UConn and, and fortunately, again, like I started volunteering there my, my freshman year. So I was exposed to um, many different coaches and saw many different training styles. And that was something that I always respected from Jerry is he allowed every staff member to be, um, their own coach. He didn't make everybody um, program a certain wa- certain way or like an umbrella style type of programming. Um, he allowed every coach to be able to program the way they seemed fit based on their background and their knowledge. So I saw that and I liked that aspect of, of how he developed his staff. Um, and then um, I saw, so I saw four different, different programming styles from the people I was able to work with there. And then when I went to and that's the way I probably would program like my first personal training clients. And then I got exposed to Mike's style of programming and I liked it a lot. And then when I started to have the opportunities to have my own teams, I started to essentially copy what Mike did. And I saw it work and I saw some things not work because from a logistical standpoint, they just wouldn't work within the setting that I was working with or for the athletes that I had. So then I started to tinker and I started to read some other things and I started to incorporate things that I've learned and try to blend two different styles of programming that I've learned um, into the point where I thought I had a really good recipe that worked for me when, when I was a full-time assistant at Holy Cross. And then um, I come to Quinnipiac and the weight room setup is completely different. And so now I have to adjust my template and how I program based on the facility that I'm using and how many days a week are we training and what are the hours restrictions and what are the sport demands and all those types of things. But um, it was easier to make those, make that recipe because of all the other things I had been exposed to before. And I wasn't afraid to tinker and I wasn't afraid to try. I do see a lot of coaches who try to emulate and copy what other coaches do and they, they don't veer away from it. Because either one, either they're afraid to, or number two, they they can't think. They sorry, not can't think. They lack the ability to think critically to understand that maybe they could do something better, right? And I think what I said before is we is having that attitude and having the motto of of fi- constantly trying to strive to find ways to get better um, can help your programming come a little bit better too, or it can make it worse, and then you just learn from it, and then you figure it out. But um, it's I think it's an evolution of understanding how to develop your recipe to the best of your ability. Um, and I'll tell assistants, I'll tell interns, if you need to copy, copy exactly what you've learned. And then you start to figure out if it works or if it doesn't work um, based on the population you have or based on the facility that you have. And then you learn how to adjust and you learn how to, uh, how to th- think critically. And hopefully anybody who's been exposed to me has, has worked with me. I've been able to teach them and get them to understand how to think critically um, instead of just being a sheep. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button so that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So 
click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. How do you then add in the extra component of practice design and do you guys have any influence there on you know working with the coaches on okay this is now an extension of the weight room which is then an extension of the entire physical stress recipe that the kids have um, and being able to work with your your coaches whether it be coming back from a break or just in overall practice design to again keep your athletes on the field or or the court or the ice yeah so we I don't get too involved in like program design. I think that's the, the artistry of the coach. What I try to do is try to get them to understand the demands of volume and intensity and getting them to understand conceptually time on feet. Like we don't have access to um, a lot of uh, tech in terms of, you know, external loading tech uh, measurement tools. Um, or we don't really, we don't really use, we've used heart rate monitors in the past, but, um, the system that we had became obsolete and the software became obsolete. So the thing that we figured out has helped the most is literally timing how long practices and getting our athletes to understand time on feet. And a classic example of this is, is, is a basketball team. Um, they could have a not intense practice, which may be like, they're, they're not really going live. They're going to go half court, but they're going to go for two and a half hours. And then I try to get the, the coach to understand, hey, listen, like you're probably better served like cutting that in half and going harder so that they can start to understand pace and learn how the style of play that you want them to play. But just keep keep tracking their volume and, and then trying to get them to understand if you're going to go high on the court, then let's go high in the weight room. If you're going to go light on the court, then we'll go light in the weight room and more recovery type stuff. But getting them to understand time on feet and then intensity and then being able to try to marry those two in terms of stressors so that we can best effectively recover so that we can make our high days high and our low days low. Do you ever think that this is where it would evolve after when, you, like you said, I mean, in high school, you said you knew you wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, right? Like how, first of all, I didn't even know, um, you know, about this field until 2009, I think 2010, when I like, you know, being up in the Northeast college sports, isn't as, as popular. How did you know with such conviction that you wanted to do this back in the day and over the evolution, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly? So I, um, I had a passion for physical training. Like we had a, when I played high school football and we had one of our coaches put together a strength issuing program. And I thought it was really like, we had trained before, but he put together a strength issuing program with like speed work and conditioning and the volumes would change and the exercises would change and the sets of reps and all this kind of stuff. And um, I thought it was really unique. And it was really kind of cool and how you can ma manipulate these variables. And I didn't understand that at the time, but you can manipulate all these variables that can really um, impose different stresses, but also create different adaptations within the body. Um, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist because I, because that's really all I knew about like working with people and working with the body. And then um, I remember watching probably football games and people would talk about like strength conditioning. And it, this was in the late nineties and it, there wasn't a lot of them out there, but I remember it about hearing about strength and conditioning. And um, when I decided when I was a senior in high school, I'm like, you know what? I really like exercising. I really like training and I really like sports. So I think I want to be a strength conditioning coach. So I think I wanted to be involved with athletics because for me, I knew my genetic limitations weren't going to allow to be, weren't going to be allow me to be a really um, successful athlete. Um, 
but I did know how to work and I did like to train. And I realized that that was an aspect of athletics where you can try to help athletes become a little bit better. So um, that's how I realized I want to be a strength conditioning coach um, back when I was in high school. And then when I got to UConn, I started volunteering my second week of school. Um, I don't I think that's when the internet was coming out too. So that I couldn't really do like Google searches and figure out what was going on. Like, I remember I saw a flyer in the, in the rec facility and it said like um, strength issuing with, with Andrea Hootie and anybody could go. Um, it was just for like general students or whatever. And I remember I went to it and I think she was teaching people like how to do the power lifts. And I told her, I'm like, Hey, I want to do, I want to be a strength issuing coach and I'm gonna do what you do. And she's like, all right, here's, this is where the varsity weight room is. You got to talk to Jerry Martin and it kind you know i remember setting up a meeting and i went to it and he was intimidating and he asked me some questions and um you know i was off on my way and then i remember i got a phone call from a ga at the time his name is sean windle who's been with indiana pacers for a really really long time now um and he's like hey you want to come observe track and field i'm like yeah sure and so i remember i went down and i watched track and field train and um, then coach Martin would bring me into the whiteboard, like into the office on the whiteboard, started peppering with questions. And if I didn't know him, he's like, all right, go look it up. And I remember I went to the bookstore and I got like a biomechanics book and I'd look things up and I kept coming back. And I, at that time, I think he was just testing me to see like how committed I was because other people would always come by and be like, you know, I want to, I want to be a strength issue coach because UConn had a big exercise science program at the time. Um, but I kept coming back and he started realizing, realized maybe this kid, um, actually does want to do this. And eventually he, <laughs> eventually he allowed me to start coaching, coaching athletes and teaching them. And I was a freshman, right? Like it's, it was, um, it was looking back at it. Like that shit doesn't happen now. No, <laughs> you know? no, no, um, he, he couldn't so, shake you off. He was just, you were just hard to lose. It was like, pretty, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was persistent. <laughs> and so, um, that it, that's, you know, every year I got more and more responsibility and then I started realizing I needed to um, kind of separate myself away from my, my, my peers, especially because I lived in dorms with football players. I lived, I went, I, I ate with them in the cafeteria. Like I started realizing I need to separate myself a little bit more if I want to be looked at as an authority or have a different level of respect. Like I couldn't, I couldn't be a lush on the weekend and like try to earn their respect if I'm trying to tell them what to do in the weight room on a Monday. Yeah. So, um, and all that kind of started to change after my sophomore year. And then, um, eventually I became a GA there, but, um, I don't even know what the question was, but that's where, how I kind of wanted, how I realized what, what I, how I wanted to, how I knew what this is what I wanted to do. And then you asked me about the good, bad, and the ugly, like what, through my, through my career. Yeah. Like what, you know, what you've seen over this amount of time, I mean, heck, even being at Quinnipiac from you know, 08 till now, like what's been the good, bad, and the ugly over the field. What's up strength coaches want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor team builder. Team builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach with team builder. You're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in person or remote using team builder. Not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires with the leaderboard. You can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint or a jump and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training wellness questionnaire can be used at the beginning of training and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information. Let's get back to the show. 
Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches, athletic trainers, sports scientists, and everybody in the high-performance department. Most notably, their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use. Not only did I use them when I was at Towson, but I've used them when I've moved back here to Iowa with Tucker at Goldfinch. So, check out Hawken Dynamics in the link down below. Now, let's get back to the show. I think the good is the amount of um, information and knowledge that's readily available. Uh, like I think back in the day, like you just read books. Like I remember being told, all right, I got to read super training. So I read super training. I had to read science and practice of strength training. So I read that. You got to read uh, training for speed in the Charlie Francis system. All right. So I read that. Like, and then, um, then it moved on to DVDs and CD-ROMs and, and all those types of things and then videos. And, um, and now the, with, with the internet, like information is readily accessible. So it's a good, but it's also a bad at the same time too, because it can be quite confusing for an up and coming strength issuing coach who's trying to learn and get their feet wet because sometimes it's information overload and they can, they almost have um, like, don't take this the wrong way, but almost like 80, ADHD with it too, because they start to see something and they're like, oh, I like that. And then they see something else and they change that. When in reality, you've got to be consistent with the training methods and means that you use for an extended period of time to see if you're going to have any kind of level of results. Um, so that's part of the bad. The other bad that I see is, um, how do I put this in words, is I think the impact on society and um, parenting and sports has negatively impact how tough our student athletes are. Um, I think student athletes are a lot softer. Um, I think student athletes are a little bit more are mentally weaker than they used to be. And I've seen it in my time here. Like um, it's harder to coach kids tough. It's harder to challenge them more frequently because so much, so, so many people are quick to um, call people out and create this cancel culture where, all right, I don't like what you said to me. So I'm going to tell on somebody instead of realizing, you know what, maybe how we have a conversation. And I, this isn't, this isn't happened to me, but I've seen it happen around the country and to a lot of people where um, people don't know how to communicate. You know, people lack the ability to be able to communicate effectively when adversity hits or um, maybe your feelings got exposed a little bit or your feelings got hurt a little bit. Instead of realizing, hey, what did you mean when you said that to me? They'll just go call somebody. And they'll go tell somebody and then and there's an investigation and then um, and sometimes people lose their jobs and, and maybe it is not every situation is the same and sometimes things are warranted. Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to um, the way a lot of kids are coddled and how the paths are often paved for them instead of preparing the athlete or preparing the, the human being for the path that's going to be in front of them like life is hard. Like things are going to be challenging. Things are going to be tough. And I don't know if there's a lot of parents that prepare their parents and coaches prepare their kids to be able to handle those things. And I say that because I see it because my kids are 12 and nine right now. I have a boy and a girl and they're in sports and um, it's, it's not pretty like parents are cutthroat and parents will, um, will do anything to protect their parent, their kids' feelings. And I'm not saying my kids' feelings aren't important. I'm like, I look at things from a bigger picture. 
and realize, you know what, if I don't tell them the truth and I'm not hard on them right now, they're not going to have the skills to be able to handle things when things do get tougher for them later on in life. And I think that's what starts to happen. Like the coping skills, I think there's a lack of coping skills within the population that I see and the people that around the world. Um, I just don't think they've exposed to hard things. And it's not just hard training, but just are you held to a standard? Are you holding your, the, your children to um, accountable? to whatever it is that you want them to be responsible for. Like if you're a youth coach, you do, you, do you, you want your kids to run on and off the field? Are you asking them to hustle? You're asking them to be good teammates. You ask them not to complain when you strike out or not to throw their batting helmet or not to um, get pissed. You know, if you miss a shot, like how do you handle losing? I think you got to be able to understand how to handle losing more than you handle winning. Um, and that kind of goes into the ugly side of things too, is um, it's, things have changed during my time, you know, and I've been in this since 1998. That's a, that's a long time, not always as a full-time professional, but, but I've seen a lot of changes start to happen. Um, And that's probably a little bit of the bad and the ugly. Did that make any kind of sense at all? Oh, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head on that one. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, so it's, it's, it's a tough thing. And, you know, my wife, she works in a, she works in a high school too. And she's a guidance counselor and she sees things. Uh, she's done this for over 10 years and she, the evolution too, within um, high school kids, like sometimes the high school kids don't understand how to advocate for themselves. So they bring their parents involved. And then, then um, and then my wife would often ask like, Hey, like if you had a problem with your exam or something, like, did you ever go to the teacher? And the kid would be like, no, I'm like, well, why not? Like, <laughs> Like, how come you didn't ask the team? Like, you bring your mom involved? Like, are your dad involved? Like, did you never have the conversation or think to have the conversation with something? Like, I tell my kids flat out, like, if they complain about something, like, listen, like, it's not my problem. You figure it out. I will be here to support you, but you got to be able to figure out these way, these things, because listen, someday, like, I'm not going to be there. So you better be able to figure things out. And I think that goes with how I coach too. Like, I tell the kids, listen, this isn't my program. It's not my workout. It's not my season. It's not my career. It's yours. You, you decide what you want to get out of it. And you train right now, like you got to have ownership in what you do. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm going to work with you. If we need to adjust things, we can adjust things, but you got to own whatever it is you decide to do. And if you own it, now it's yours. And if it's yours, you're going to invest a hell of a lot more effort into it. And when you invest a lot more effort, you're probably going to yield way more returns. So, um, so ownership is a big piece of um, how I coach and how I program, how I parent. Um, but I think that's, the ugly side of things too. Like I'll tell recruits and in, in, in freshmen right off the bat, like, I'm not going to hold your hand. Like if you want a hand holder that I'm not it. Like it, well, you, that, that actually leads into the next question I was going to ask you is because you've had that consistency, you know, you talked about your family and you talked about recruits. Do you use like, do you use that as a position of, uh, you know, advantage just because you've been there for so long and it's allowed you to, you know, your kids have been able to go through certain schools all the way and they've been, you know, born and doctors and neighbors and they got to have stability. Um, you know, do you use that to your advantage when you do talk to recruits? Um, and then just how how important that is to maybe young coaches that are listening here that are worried about, you know, climbing the ladder rather than, you know, being able to have a life that you just talked about. I think it's, I think it's immense. Like anytime we've had opportunities or I've had opportunities to be able to, move on or look at other opportunities like my 
my family and my kids are very much like, like, I don't want to move. Like, uh, I don't want to leave. Um, they don't want to leave their friends. Part of it is we want them to be exposed to a change. Like, cause I think if they can understand how to adapt to change early on in their lives, I think it'll be easier when they, when they get older in life. But in terms of stability, it has helped with, with doctors and, and, and the family side of things. It's helped dramatically with friends and all those types of things. Um, but I have, I have used it with it. recruits. Like I've had people, recruits ask, like, how long have you been here? How long do you plan? I've had recruits ask me, how long do you plan on staying here? <laughs> and, um, and I said, like, listen, like, I, I don't worry about the future. I let the future take care of itself. The only time and like the only point in time I can ever control is now. And all I'm trying to do is become the, become the best coach and person that I can be right now and be able to impact the people that I work with right now. We'll let the future take care of itself. But I some flat out like right now, right now I'm here. And if this is where you want to be, I'm going to be here. So um, yeah, it does, it does help. And I've had consistency with the coaches that we've worked with too. Like our hockey coach has been here for 26 years or women's basketball coach has been here that long. Um, our women's hockey coach has been here 14 years as I have too. Um, so we've, we've had a lot of consistency and the consistency does help. Um, but for the young coaches, it is, it's again, another cliche. People say like, don't go chasing logos. Like, uh, the grass is greenest wherever you stand and if your grass is greenest is wherever you water it. The grass isn't always greener because it's a, uh, you got a power five school on, on your, on your polo or on your backpack. Um, maybe sometimes when you're developing, you need those experiences to, to expand your network and expand the people that, you know, and be able to be exposed to those level of athletes. Um, but if you have a family and you have kids, um, you got to start to ask yourself what's truly important and making sure that you prioritize them, um, and not just your career. Um, speaking of network speaking of future and speaking of right now now we can dive into the part that i'm sure everybody wanted to know this fernando you're not aware but this man is i don't understand first he might not sleep because of how involved he is in the now in the world of metaverse cryptocurrencies finance and nfts so dive down that rabbit hole a little bit kind of let people understand like realistically you should be known as like the metaverse strength coach um just because and it's 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 right it's very impressive like uh, full disclosure it's it's impressive how well versed you are in this other area so um, so is this going to be the thumbnail for the uh, podcast the oh, it should be. snc coach it has to go down so we don't forget that can we change that? I actually am trying to brand myself as the crypto shrink coach on Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah. So hashtag hey. crypto shrink coach. What's, what's magic. That's going to be, uh, I just came out with some, some merchandise. So that's going to, I didn't make it yet, but that's going to be one of the shirts I make up too. <laughs> um, so where do I begin? Um, I've only been in like, I think involved in this, this space in terms of, investments of cryptocurrencies probably for the last year um i remember i read rich dad poor dad and if you guys read that yep yep so um if you're listening to this podcast highly recommend that book um get you understand um the power of investment and the power of getting your money to work for you um <clears throat> and that kind of exposed me to i had an intern that was that was into cryptocurrency. And, and when I started to realize, I'm like, you know what, like I need to 
understand this a little bit more. I would reach out and ask questions. And I started to reach out to other people who I knew that were involved in the game. And I had heard about it. I remember, I think it was like 2013 or 2014. I have had athletes talk about um, Bitcoin and I had no idea what the hell it was. Um, but it, that was my, I had been exposed for about a year. Um, started to understand what blockchain technology was, um, what cryptocurrency was, um, which is essentially just its currency for exchange of goods and services, which is no different than, than the dollar or any other kind of fiat currency that's, that's used around the world. Um, but there was a limited supply of whatever coin you needed to use. And the coin that you needed to use was based on the blockchain that you decided to interact with. And eventually that started to get into... Um, I started to hear about um, sports collectibles and NBA Top Shot. And then Tom Brady got into Autograph, or that's his company, created Autograph and the DraftKings Marketplace. And so that's where I think I started diving into my first NFTs was through Autograph and the DraftKings Marketplace. Um, and I remember I got the Tom Brady All Access Pass and um, I could see it on my phone. And then um, I started to learn a little bit more and I had a friend too. And he's like, you know what, you should put, you could put pictures as NFTs. I was like, what? I was like, what is that? And what's, you know, an NFT is a non-fungible token, which means that every token, everything that you put on any digital asset that you put on the blockchain is, is unique and it's, and it's distinguishable. It's not the same, um, which is what an NFT is versus a fungible token, which is if you have a, a token of Ethereum um, and Justin has a, a token of Ethereum and Fernando has a token, it's all the same, has the same properties, same characteristics. Um, I started to understand what digital art was, um, how music, how movies, how basically anything digital can become an asset and it can become tokenized within the blockchain and how it allowed you to actually have ownership within the inter internet. And that started to understand what Web3 truly meant. Um, and when I say Web3, Web1 was, and I was around for the internet. It was the first generation of the internet, which is really just information being placed on, um, on networks. And web two was your ability to interact with the information, which became much more of a social environment in terms of the internet. Now web three, which is what we're entering right now is a information, social, but also ownership within the internet. And so now you start to own your digital assets. And the way I say this to friends is when you sign up for an account or you sign up to go to a website, it'll say, log in with Facebook, log in with Google, log in with Apple, log in with Twitter, right? You, when you put your information on, on the internet, you put a post picture on Instagram, you don't own it. Like those companies own everything that you put up there. They own your information. They own your pictures. They own whatever it is that you decide to interact with. And that's why they can create ads based on whatever information, whatever you say, because everything like, you're always being heard. You're always being seen. Um, they own everything that you have. When now, when we move to this decentralized network of, of ownership, which is essentially what Web3 is, now it's not just your information isn't being owned by large conglomerations of companies. You actually have ownership of what you have. You actually have ownership of the music that you have, the artwork that you have. Like I, I'll often say, if you watch Netflix, you don't own anything on Netflix. You're just subscribing to their platform. Same thing with Apple Music or Spotify. You're just listening to music on their platform. And they will create algorithms based on whatever it is you decide to like or whatever you decide to listen to. 
Um, so they can manipulate you in any way that you want. But within this decentralized nature of the way the blockchain works and having digital ownership, now you're actually taking control of your information. You are actually owning whatever it is that you want to own. And you can you can resell these digital assets. You can, you can um, they're essentially a store of value as well, but you can trade with them. You can own them. You can, you can do whatever it is you want to with, with, a, with a lot of them because you own the intellectual property to these things. And a lot of my initial exploration into this NFT Web3 space was with art projects that are primarily um, PFP projects or profile picture projects. And if anybody is familiar with this, hopefully they've been exposed to Board Ape Yacht Club and understood how much of a frenzy or how much uh, how much value is within being able to own one of those board apes. Um, they, they are extremely valuable. They're um, um, extremely rare, um, and a lot of other people want them. And when a lot of people want them, and there's a high, they're in high demand, the value of them increases dramatically. And um, a lot of people have ventured into this Web three space to create businesses and opportunities. And that's what, essentially what these NFT projects are, is that they're, they're small startups. They're start, smart up businesses and they'll make artwork um, that usually grants you access to different communities. And then when you're in that community, it's like a, almost like a gated community, like the Strength Coach Network. It's not free, is it? You gotta subscribe to it. So it's a, it's a gated community um, where you can share with other like-minded individuals or unlike unlike-minded individuals, where you can start to understand different perspectives and learn from different people. When you hold an NFT to a to a certain project, you're exposed to that community, um, and sometimes these projects offer a certain utility with them. It could be um, it could be in the form of being uh, able to um, obviously network and connect with the people that are in it, but also. Um, chances at giveaways, whether it be other um, NFT giveaways, Ethereum giveaways, other cryptocurrencies, you can get um, tokens for um, that can be used for play to earn gaming, um, uh, play a uh, learn to earn. There's also there's like there's going to be train to earn stuff that's coming up too. I think I just got um, involved in a project that um, is like a an app for working out, and every time you work out, you earn their coin. And you can earn their coin. You can use that coin for merchandise or for personal training sessions or whatever it may be. Um, but it's going to be that it's what we're entering now is this creator economy where everybody has an opportunity to monetize their brand or market themselves to be able to create and to earn um, through this decentralized techno technology that we're that's that's coming hard for the future. Did that kind of sum it up pretty well? Yeah, you see why I told you he's got to be like, we got to get this out to the people, let them know right away, right? Like, I'm blown. Are you? Did that make sense to you? Yeah. Because I mean, I wouldn't know where to start, but it made sense. <laughs> yeah. And so that, I, there's a lot of things that I've learned, and I often uh, I have to take really extremely deep dives into information or to a certain aspect to be able to truly understand um, what it is. And, if you can truly understand things and you can communicate it, then you really know it. So I'm glad that you understood it because I think, I, I think I understand it well enough to be able to communicate it. And I've shared with, I don't know how many coaches um, and how many other colleagues about getting, getting involved within the space, um, not just from an investment standpoint, but also from an opportunity to brand and market yourself because as strength conditioning coaches, who's, who's, who's working for you? Like, 
You know what I mean? Like who's going to help you um, get your message or get your brand out to other people where you can expand your reach. And selfishly, that's what I'm doing it for. Like I've gotten myself involved in this web three space to be able to um, increase my circle of influence because right now my circle of influence is pretty much um, the student athletes I get to work with on a daily basis. And I think, not, I think I know I have a lot to offer. I think, I don't know how long I'm going to coach, but I think my passion really is in, is in helping coach other coaches and helping other people become better versions of themselves. Like I said before, um, and being involved in this web three space has allowed me to expand my voice and expand my reach and expand my circle of influence so that I can be able to reach not just athletes, but and not just strength conditioning coaches, but, um, people would just want to get better at life. Um, and almost starting to market myself and brand myself as a, as a life coach, business coach, performance coach, like just a coach right? and really try to uh, put my values and put my put things that I've learned um, out there to try to help other people grow and get better. Yeah, that mic drop moment right there. Yeah, yeah I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I don't think we can go further than this, at least for today. Yeah. Yeah, no, like that, that would be a whole nother one later. But like, again, thank you. Like, so as you talk about that, right, a perfect segue, where can people continue to follow you on your journey of getting people better? Um, you know, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, where, where, where can people learn more about you and what you're doing? Uh, probably the best place is just go to my website, coachbpatel.com. Um, all my social links are there. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, I have a link tree that has everything, all the links to all my stuff there my NFT collections too. Um, but all that stuff is there. So if coach all my links are there, Instagram, Twitter, um, inf- a, a blog articles that I put out, um, services that I offer, um, merchandise, all that kind of stuff is, it's kind of like my home hub. Then also pretty much this was a, uh, a, a quarantine project for me, which is almost like it was a massive brain dump of really trying to collect everything they've done from podcasts, articles, interviews, and putting it into one place, which becomes my, my digital CV. 